Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Sikhe Luquanda Zwane. He's a master's student at the University of Witwatersrand and a graduate research assistant at the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research, or CSIR, in South Africa. Sikhe Luquanda, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Uh, thanks a lot, Sam. Um, thank you for having me. So I will just let everyone know that you were very, very gracious in practicing the pronunciation of your name with me, and I am still butchering it, but thank you so much. We had a long practice session before, and I am going to work on these Koza, was it Koza clicks? It's, it's and, Zulu. It's, it's actually oh, Zulu. Zulu. Sorry, um, sorry. Yes, but it tends to be very similar to Koza. Okay, so I'm going to work on this, uh, and the next time we have you on the show, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. But thanks so much for your patience with that. Why don't we get started by having you share a little bit about uh, your background and how you got started working in machine learning and artificial intelligence? So I got into machine learning because of the problems that I found when uh, back when I was in this interest group uh, in second year, where we were at uh, this robotics interest group at, at, at VITS, and we were given these uh, quadcopters to, to fly around and my friend and I decided we want to fly ours in like a, uh, a rectangular shape. And we found that uh, we couldn't do that. Like um, we had issues with things like wind and momentum. You could never actually get the drone to be in one particular position. But nonetheless, um, even though we did fly in some type of kite shape, like I found myself fascinated um, by the fact that I basically wrote some code and I had to sit back and relax and watch um, my code basically fly this machine around, right? So um, actually, I um, became interested in the field of robotics and um, continued my studies um, and tried to pick subjects, in, even in honors, that would uh, um, basically give me a good start in, in, in my career as, as a roboticist in South Africa. Um, then I think during my honors, um, honors year, um, I, one of the subjects that I picked was uh, reinforcement learning, and there I learned that uh, the big thing, um, uh, or rather the big challenge in, in, in trying to get machines that can think and act like human beings is not so much um, the actual machinery and trying to, 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 to create something that is an, an anatomically similar to, to a human being, but the, the bigger challenge was trying to get these machines to perform like these complex behaviors, you know, like things like that we take so we, we take so much for granted, something like something as simple as picking a pen up uh, or picking a cup up and putting it down is something that is still a difficult task when you want to achieve it with a robot or rather the, 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 the bigger challenge was, was this thing um, generalization. You know, we want to have, um, we want to want these machines to be able to perform um, general behaviors. You know, if I say pick something up, you shouldn't care what the object looks like. You shouldn't, um, your code shouldn't rely on on the actual position of, of of the hand when it when it does it. You know, it needs to be to generalize to all these like weird scenarios. For example, if someone has a bigger cup, um, if someone has a mug, if someone has a pen, you know. Um, so, and it turns out that machine learning, um, or I found out that machine learning was uh, one of the tools that 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 could actually um, help uh, achieve this goal. You know, through machine learning, we 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 can actually learn. Um, more general behaviors, you know, to get more interesting uh, 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 robotic applications, you know, so or more useful. Actually, useful is is is, is the word I was looking for there. So yeah, like um, that is literally how I got into into the field, just um, by wanting to see a robot perform uh, some simple task, and then realizing that having having the robot perform um, that task is not something that is uh, simple to say. Um, it's 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 it wasn't trivial, you know, like. Uh, one alternative, or as a third-year computer science student, I think my like my skill set would have probably pointed me towards trying to hard code. Okay, maybe tilt the robot hand um, by 45 degrees and then move it forward a few centimeters and then go down and then open the gripper, close the gripper and then pick it up and then. But you realize that you just um, you created a, like this behavior is only specific to this particular scenario. Like you leave your robot overnight at the lab and someone comes and they move 
the cup by a few centimeters and now your whole your whole system doesn't work you know so um the reason why i'm i'm interested in machine learning or the reason why i'm in machine learning is to just to in, in like to be able to learn more general behaviors you know more useful behaviors for for robots and um um yeah like other other applications because um, machine learning is not only useful for robotics just that 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 is my yeah in, in, in interest there. one of the things that i can really relate to is that initial inspiration you know i find i really enjoy i don't code a lot but i do enjoy it uh but when you're writing code and then that is affecting the physical world through motors and uh other uh, actuators, you know, basically robotics, uh, whether in like small form, you know, making lights blink, all that kind of stuff. I find it super rewarding. And, um, so I can see how that would like get you, uh, kind of pulled into wanting to explore more and have more kind of be able to build these more robust interactions. Yeah. No, um, yeah, the, 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 that's precisely, uh, the, the point, right? You, it, there's, there's so much, it it is actually very rewarding to see something that you created actually become something physical that you can see. At the Black and AI workshop, you presented on some of your research titled "Safer Exploration in Deep Reinforcement Learning Using Action Priors." Tell us about a little bit about the motivation for this project. Okay, the motivation is not really a straightforward thing for me. Uh, what motivated me to to go with this particular topic is. Um, my mainly my experience um, with using deep reinforcement learning and trying trying to apply it to to um, to, to 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 the robotics domain, right? So um, I have access to this uh, mobile manipulator. Um, it's basically just a, a PowerBot AGB uh, AGV uh, platform with with a Barrett Wham uh, seven DOF robot arm on top, and um, we would like to. Basically, the dream is to have this this platform um, performing complicated tasks such as, you know, making someone coffee or making a sandwich and things like that. But it's really hard to specify, you know, rewards and 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 and, and it's very hard to produce those kind of behaviors um, if 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 you are trying to manually specify what what is supposed to happen. You know, like ideally, we'd like the system to actually learn. Um, to perform these 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 behaviors um, on on its own. So what I'm kind of hearing here is like you you kind of started out you know as an undergrad like trying to get robots to do things and you know at that stage in your experience kind of the natural way to do things was to like build these big you know rule sets you know if then else kind of programming and you went on to explore doing this with deep reinforcement learning, but then you ran into this challenge of how do we create the reward functions to get a robot to grip something? That's historically yes. one of the hard, you know, the hard parts about using deep reinforcement learning. Yes, yes, that that is correct. So um, I found it very hard to specify a, a a reward function for picking something up, you know. Um, my first, my first task, um, uh, as a master's student was, okay, I want to use deep reinforcement learning to perform multitask learning on this particular, um, robot platform that we have at the CSR, right? Then, um, when I'm, when I'm thinking about doing that, I realize, okay, this is, uh, basically one of the few robots that we have and reinforcement learning is known to be, uh, random in nature, right? Um, you, you, you rely on, on, on maybe executing, uh, random actions, um, to kind of discover rewarding states and and stuff like that, and you can't really afford to be performing these random actions and and these jerky movements um, when 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 you're actually working with with actual uh, machinery or the physical platform. So my first task was, you know what? Let me let me just um you know build a simulated environment. And um, as I was doing that, I spent some time trying to um, basically find the right meshes that would kind of correspond in shape and size to the actual physical platform. And I was using this thing called gazebo where you can basically have like a, um, a physical environment, you know, with all the physics and collisions and things. And then gazebo is like a, a physics simulator that's used quite a bit in robotics. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, when I say built is that I built um, basically some packages for this particular platform. 
um, that would allow uh, me to use reinforcement learning um, with the, the, the actual uh, joint configurations of, of, of the robot. You know, so things like I need to be able to publish actions to the robot and have it perform those actions and then observe some change and then have something that's going to decide if, if this was good or bad, which is basically my reward function, right? So yeah, but the whole thing was just, I want to have um, this particular robot platform being able to perform uh, multiple tasks. And on my way there um, towards performing multiple tasks, I realized that, okay, there's actually a lot of challenges with getting a, like a standard deep reinforcement learning algorithm to, to work properly on, 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 you know, like any environment that you have, right? So um, when, when, when I think about um, a deep reinforcement learning, I'm going to be thinking about, okay, firstly, you have um, this, this exploration phase where you start with uh, random policies, right? And uh, you're going to be um, trying to find, I guess we'll be executing uh, random actions I found out that it was really hard to specify reward functions for for these complicated behaviors. Like for example, in wanting to pick something up, right? Um, you need to somehow reward the agent for for what's this thing reaching towards the object and then actually picking it up. You know, um, which is there's actually two stages. You 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 need something that's going to encode moving towards the object and something that's going to encode basically you closing um, your gripper around the object and then still having the object and moving the, 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 your hand up and having the object remain in the hand, you know, so uh, things like that. You presented a project called Safer Exploration and Deep Reinforcement Learning using, using action priors. First off, when you say safer exploration, you know, what does that mean and why is that important? Yeah, so um, when I'm talking about safer exploration, right, I'm, I'm trying to improve uh, the safety of 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 um, the exploration uh, policy in 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 a standard uh, deep reinforcement learning algorithm, right? So, being in the robotics domain, I care very much about uh, the physical well-being of 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 my platform, right? So, it's very important uh, to me that I won't be, if for example, I need to learn um, to perform some task using uh, a deep reinforcement learning algorithm, uh, I need some form of insurance that my platform won't be basically performing the worst possible thing. Um, it won't hurt itself in any way. For example, if I have like a Roomba and um, basically having it sweep my roof for some odd, for, 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 for some odd reason, right? Um, I need to know that this thing won't drive off the roof, you know, like things like that. Like it, 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 it should be, um, it should be able to learn, right? In this, in this scenario or in an environment where they are still states that are deemed very unsafe or like very undesirable. Right. So when I talk about safer exploration, um, I'm just trying to, um, I guess, improve the safety of, of, of your standard deep reinforcement learning algorithm, I mean. That paradigm is based on, um, so you understand the standard paradigm in, 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 in reinforcement learning in general is that you, uh, or one of the more popular exploration techniques is this epsilon greedy thing where you're going to decide, okay, I'm going to execute um, some random actions or actions from a random policy, right? Um, some um, epsilon um, probability of the time, and then um, with probability one minus epsilon, you're going to be basically exploiting or you're going to be executing actions that come from your from the policy that you're training, right? Which is also quite random initially, but you do this so that like you can actually discover you know, like potentially useful um, actions to perform in, in, in any state, in, in the state that you're currently occupying. So my work is to um, trying to kind of relax this very random nature, right, um, when you're exploring. And what I'm saying is that instead of trying to explore randomly, right, uh, or executing random actions, why don't we execute um, actions that were performed by experts in, in these like states that we're in, you know. So you, you'd have maybe uh, something like um, you try to first build um, some notion of account, right, to maintain, uh, you'd maintain some notion of account to see how many times a particular action has been performed in a state, right, and then you're going to explore according to these counts. So you convert these counts to a probability distribution and then you sample from the for, for, from from this distribution, and that is the action that you're going, going to apply, right? Like a more intuitive example is something like if I gave you the task of opening a door, right? Um, the first thing, uh, if, if you're a reinforcement learning agent and you've never opened a door in your life, 
the first thing you do when you're in front of the door is that you're going to try every possible action, right? And you're going to try very random things. So now in your action space, you have the, the action of licking the door handle, which is, you know, could not lead to you opening the door. You can, um, you can try kicking the door. You can try, there's so many things you can try. But if you have the opportunity maybe to sit on a chair next to the door and watch how other people do it and then try what they're trying to do, like these people may be trying to do other things with the door. But um, the hope is that um, by trying what other um, expert agents have tried in this particular state, you know, you may be, um, doing, um, you may avoid this, 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 um, this, this random nature like that that may lead you to un- undesirable states. Like it kind of grounds your your search for good actions, and also you know like um, because uh, these agents that you're watching are expert agents, you can assume that they are behaving optimally or in a way that they are not trying to to harm themselves in any way. So when I hear you describe it like that. Uh, the thing that comes to mind for me is imitation learning. How is that related to uh, what you've done here? So how I understand imitation learning is that uh, you're going to be observing, um, I think you're going to have access to some um, expert trajectories. And I think the task today is to try and follow those, right? You're basically trying to make those trajectories more general in, in a way. You want to kind of imitate uh, the expert, right? Whereas here, what we're trying to do is that um, we're not really performing the same task as the expert that we're watching, right? So um, the action prize framework has the flexibility that um, the different experts can be performing different tasks, right? And by different tasks, I mean tasks that have different reward functions, right? Meaning that it doesn't matter what the action that, that the experts are doing, as long as um, the action spaces are the same between the agent that is learning and these experts here, right? Um, you may find some benefit in, in basically trying what the experts, you know, um, tried. Like if 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 if, if that makes sense, you, you're trying to to act according to um, this body of advice. Like I, I think advice kind of uh, makes more sense, right? So if I can recap what you're saying to make sure I understand. In imitation learning, if you've got our scenario with the the robot sitting in a chair observing an expert interacting with the door, in imitation learning, as it's classically defined, what you're really trying to do is have the robot, you know, look at someone performing a very specific task like rotating the door handle thousands of times or however many times and you're trying to teach it that very specific action and any other actions would be noise in that kind of model whereas in what you're doing you're presenting just kind of not random observations but observations of a bunch of different things reaching for the door turning the knob opening the door it's more unconstrained and you're trying to use all of these observations to kind of condition the the exploration process. Yes, yes, uh, that yeah, that, that's exactly what I, what I'm, I'm I'm trying to do. Okay. So yeah, it's 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 just um, as as you put it, an unconstrained uh, I guess uh, version where you're trying to you have all these multiple demonstrations. You're not exactly trying to follow any particular trajectory. But what you're interested in is what these experts are kind of doing in any particular state. So if you visit a state, uh, you can always ask the question, um, what did experts do, right? And maybe there will be some arbiter or, or some oracle that will tell you, hey, um, 63% of experts took this action. Uh, maybe 23% of, 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 of experts took this action. And then, you know, other experts took this particular action and no expert took this particular action, right? So then I want to, in, in that case, basically try the actions that were more popular as opposed to the one that the experts didn't try. Because you can imagine that in, in a model like that, you're kind of implicitly representing, um, in this case, I guess, the state space in the environment. And maybe the experts in this particular state are not moving forward, are not taking the action for going forward because this is a cliff, you're right? So as they were training, they found that, okay, when they went forward, this led to a very bad uh, reward. So um, they decided, okay, I'm not going to take that action. I'm just going to do this and that. 
you know, so it's basically you treat it as this body of advice that you can like, you know, kind of query at every step in, in your exploration process. One question I'm curious about is how you define the state space and if you're doing anything to generalize it. And and I, I realize there's a lot of loaded language there. What I mean is co- kind of going back to this example of the robot observing the expert, if the expert is is reaching for the door handle, you could learn a lot about about that uh, that action. But if if you're only able to access what that expert has done, if the robot is in the exact you know, if all of the the uh, dimensions of the robot, you know, it's all of its positions are in the exact same point, then you kind of miss out on. Uh, a lot of advice from, you know, experts who were, you know, their their hand was doing the same thing, but it was shifted over a centimeter or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the question of portability, right? So um, so this, in, in, in the original paper, right, um, the way the authors um, basically uh, tackle this problem, right, is by introducing a second version of, of the action priors framework, uh, which was conditioned on observations instead of the state, right? So obviously, um, if, if you're trying to learn um, this distribution over actions given a state, right, basically asking, okay, what action should I take at this particular state? Um, you are only going to, that model is only going to be useful um, should, like in an environment where the state space uh, doesn't change, you know? So essentially, if there's an obstacle here, that obstacle should not move at all. Right. And the walls would stay the same place and, and stuff like that. But um, as soon as you move like an obstacle or something uh, that was not like, for example, if you are training in an environment where, um, let's say, uh, the obstacle is in one particular position. Right. And then now um, you take demonstrations from that setting and you try to move it in, in, in into a setting where the agent is training, where these obstacles have been moved around now. What's going to happen is that that information is not going to be portable, right? So to to try and um, fix that problem uh, or to fix the problem, what the authors uh, uh, did, this is uh, Benjamin Rossman and um, Subramanian Ramamurthy, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, what they did is that they um, conditioned the action prior distribution um, over observations, meaning that I guess if you can imagine um, if all the obstacles were blue and your your agent can be like, or your body of advice could be something that says, okay, if I see a blue thing, I want to do this or this, you know? So basically whenever I see an obstacle, I want to do one of the following deterministic things, you know? So you can increase the possibility of, of this um, action prior framework by um, just conditioning on, on, on observations instead of the state. I guess I'm trying to, to visualize how you represent the state for a given problem, how do you figure out? Is it uh, is the representation like I'm? You know, I'm imagining it's a vector of some sort. But is it a vector of like if it's a robot, like all of the stepper motor angles and that kind of thing, or is it something else? Is it more abstract? No, no, it's 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 exactly um, it's it's exactly that. So it, in in if you have a robot like a robot arm, um, then it'll be your joint angles and and stuff like that. It's literally. Um, so how uh, I think of reinforcement learning in general is that you're going to have some target environment and then you can have a state, right? Uh, defined in the framework of, of an, a Markov decision process, you can have a state and then you have access to actions and there's a transition function and then you have a reward function, I guess, in some gamma discount factor thing. Um, but yeah, like uh, a state can mean anything that you want it to mean uh, as far as, as long as you have formulated the problem you're trying to solve as as a reinforcement learning problem, like that's that's so, how I, I think about it. So in so my then, case, um, so then the, the question that I was trying to get at in this case is, let's say that the uh, your state vector is all of your angles, and you've got this. You're you're basically able to consult the oracle, so to speak. Um, to see if it knows anything about what to do in a given state. I guess the question that I'm asking is like, when you consult the oracle and you say like, these are my you know angles out to the second decimal point, the second decimal place, will it return what it knows even if it's not exactly that, but kind of close? Or 
Do you have to kind of generalize it or round it before you consult the Oracle? Or will you only know about things that happen at the very exact places? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, so that's that, that's a very a very good question, right? So, um, that is precisely the challenge, um, with 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 trying to move. Um, okay, let, let me just first say this action priors framework was defined, uh, I think, for to work very well in, in the discrete setting, which is uh, true for most um, deep reinforcement learning and reinforcement learning algorithms, right? And moving into a continuous setting where you don't really have any guarantee that you'll ever see the same state again. There's there's an there is a need for models that can generalize, you know, like um, in some region and say, okay, um, for this particular region of, of state space, uh, this is what the action distribution looks like, you know, and, and stuff like that. And I think right. that is what motivated my my choice um, in, in, in what model to use to to represent uh, the, the, the action prior. So in this case, that, that was a Gaussian process, which has a very uh, nice... A smoothing effect, you know, like as far as as data is concerned. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now that you you've said it, all of the language that I should have been using to ask the question is obvious, like discrete versus continuous, and and so just maybe to take a step back to make sure I understand, I the the question I'm curious about now is um, how your specific research fits into the the broader uh landscape of research in this area okay so how how uh, i thought about it right was um basically if you want to have a robot that can um perform multiple tasks and and and, and things like that right you, you okay if you want a robot that is going to be useful in any particular scenario um then you need to think about uh i think the field is called lifelong learning right and lifelong learning is basically um, trying to 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 get these systems that can um, basically uh, learn tasks as they are presented, either you know in parallel or sequentially, and then retain their ability to perform those tasks, and then somehow use the knowledge that they have gained in learning the previous tasks to what's this thing to improve the learning of of concurrent tasks. And I think that's almost how humans do this learning thing, right? So. Uh, if, if if I then think about the challenges that 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 you get there, the first one is is just trying to perform uh, successful you know transfer learning in in in, in uh, and in my case in, in continuous settings you know so um, I would I can imagine that uh, the action prize framework um, kind of uh, fits somewhere in between um, in, in in between having like a very a full um, or rather it it it's one component that you would need to to have a lifelong learning uh, system or a lifelong learning robot, you know. Okay. So, for example, um, my whole pipeline would be something like you train some expert agents in in some target environment, right? And um, then these expert agents or these tasks, right, that you're trying to learn can be, you know, all basically learned by the same robot, so to speak, and then. Um, this particular robot would use or sample trajectories or like keep um, a data set of trajectories um, from these learned uh, tasks, right? And it would fit this model, uh, this action prior uh, distribution over those trajectories. And then for every task that it wants to learn, um, it can basically explore according to this action prior distribution. And after it has learned this this new policy, it can then sample uh, trajectories from there uh, augmenting his data set and then, you know, uh, fitting the distribution again, you know, and then uh, when learning a new tasks, it, it then going to use the exploration policy uh, again. And then that just keeps um, going on until you have this this machine or the system that can perform, you know, uh, multiple tasks and, 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 and things like that. You know, so I, I like to think of it as, um, I guess, a step towards lifelong learning and one of the problems we have there in 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 um, um, in, in, in lifelong learning is we need to uh, I guess solve the problem of transfer as well as you know um, if you're talking about deep reinforcement learning you need to kind of worry uh, or at least uh, dedicate some time towards how to do exploration more efficiently and more safe uh, more safely. Before this uh, explanation, when we were talking about experts, I was thinking in terms of 
observations. So the your system would have some set of observations, and those represent the experts. But you just introduced this concept of training expert models. Um, how is that done? Uh, and kind of how is that different from the ultimate model that you're trying to train with uh, reinforcement learning? Uh, so you please repeat the question. So it's um, you asking if uh, how different is is having this whole notion of an expert model compared to having what? Uh, uh, reinforcement learning, like the the expert model is. Uh, presumably the expert model is is simpler uh and and more readily trainable than a a drl model is that true or uh, is are the experts also trained using reinforcement learning so in this case um i think my 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 notion um of of expert or how i think of expert um of, of what an expert is it could be um a deep reinforcement learning agent um, that was learning a task in the same environment. And now I just sample trajectories uh, from, from the policy that I get from there. And then I use those samples to train uh, the agent that I'm going to train next on a different task. You know, it could also, expert can also mean, you know, just some, uh, I guess in the context of video games, you can find that maybe a human player can kind of, demonstrate uh, what the correct actions or the correct policy is um, by playing the game and giving the reinforcement learning agent uh, this trajectory that goes through the play, the, through the game in some sort of optimal way. And um, yeah, so it's basically um, either your expert is either agents that you were training um, in the same environment, or it could be just some human um, demonstrations um, and things like that, you know, so um, in the context of 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 uh, I think learning from demonstration, when you're talking about a robot um, robot manipulators, you can have uh, someone who's trying to teach a robot how to wave by actually performing the action themselves and then recording that trajectory. You know, so my I think the notion of expert in this case is just a bit more general. You know, say we're back at the the door, and uh, is the idea that we would have separate expert models for reaching and turning and pulling and that kind of thing? Or is there one expert that is, that knows how to open a door? So I want to say maybe in training an expert how to open a door, right? You'd, ha- you'd use information from these um, other experts, right? Um, so reaching a, a door and turning the, the handle could all, all be actually useful actions. Okay. Uh, but uh, in that case, um, this task is, uh, it feels like it's arranged in a, a sort of like a hierarchical way where um, turning turning the door could be considered as some kind of, uh, I guess, uh, opening the door could be considered as some, some, some kind of macro action that is composed of these smaller policies, mm-hmm. such as reaching for the door handle, turning the handle, and then pulling, you know. Right. So, yeah, and the, the, the action prior's framework, I'd like to think, is more... Um, primitive in the sense that it, it's not hierarchical in, in any sense. It doesn't really, um, although you can kind of make it uh, hierarchical by using options and other stuff like that. But um, my particular use case is using um, action priors, uh, or rather, the action priors rely on 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 actions that are that are kind of primitive. You know, so as long as my experts have the same action space and state space then I can be able to use trajectories from other expert models or trained models and use them to train one particular target task faster and okay. safer. So in other words, if you're trying to train an agent to open the door, you don't really care. You may have access to these experts that were trained on these subtasks, but you don't really care about that implicit hierarchy. You're just looking, you're asking the question, hey, the 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 arm is here what do people use what do experts usually do when the arm is here and then kind yes. of yes. um sample from a distribution of uh that answers that question and use that to inform your next step i'm trying i'm, I'm trying to move uh or rather trying to think independent of or rather i'd like my model to kind of not consider the the, the reward functions or like what tasks was being performed by any particular expert Right. Right. Okay. Because um, it, it makes sense 
for me to use uh, data from an expert that was performing a very similar task. And now when I say similar task, I have to, in my pipeline somewhere, consider how am I going to compare task similarity? Like, how do I know that this robot is performing um, a task that is similar to this one before deciding to sample trajectories from the policy that I got from this one, right? So it's, 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 it's something like if I have this library of policies that do multiple things, the first task is to first maybe traverse through all these, these trained policies, uh, checking to see um, how similar um, these uh, tasks that they're performing to my tasks, um, to the task that I'm interested in. And then after finding the one that is most similar, then I can now perform transfer. But I guess what I'm trying to do here is um, trying to perform multitask transfer, which is basically you just have um, this library of task, uh, tasks and you're trying to extract some, some common knowledge from them and then use whatever body of common knowledge to kind of, uh, kind of speed up or improve the learning of, of um, some tasks that you're interested in. You're not looking at task similarity at all. You're just looking at, you know, what do we know about uh, what these experts do when we're in this state? Yes, yes. So I'd, I'd like to think of, of transfer uh, as like falling into two categories, right? And the first one would be aggregate transfer, right? Where I'm trying to transfer from like, I guess, all the tasks that I have. And then the other version of transfer would be kind of more selective to say, okay, in this library of tasks that I've learned, um, these maybe three tasks are very similar to the tasks that I'm trying to learn. And I'm going to take these three and transfer only from those, right? So, yeah. And then... Um, when transferring, we also need to be careful of things like negative transfer because you can imagine that not all that knowledge is going to be useful. Some is actually going to be very bad for, um, very, like it's going to hurt the learning of, of this target task if you're not careful, you know, and you can imagine that's uh, one challenge that um, I kind of have to worry about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a- again, taking a step back to to understanding the specific uh focus and contribution of your research relative to to the broader landscape. It sounds like Action Priors is already out there. Um, Epsilon Greedy Exploration Policy we know is already out there. Is what, what you're adding here the idea of this multitask transfer from multiple Action Priors or is it uh, something else? Oh, it's essentially, it's essentially um, the the extension of, of the framework to, to continuous settings, you know. Okay, so, so uh, right, For example, right, right. yeah, so just trying to, to understand how, how you can um, still maintain a notion of account in, 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 in a continuous uh, setting. Because um, if, if you think about uh, having a discrete space, like, uh, for example, a maze with, with tiles as, 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 as states, um, it's easy to basically keep some table where you're like, okay, um, this particular action has been performed this many times and this um, action has been performed this many times and then you build a distribution over, over that. Uh, you, you sample over like from that categorical distribution and you get an action out, right? But now, um, how do you do that for, 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 for the case where you, you don't really have um, the ability to, to, to even kind, kind of maintain account because you, you essentially have as soon as things become continuous, you kind of have infinitely many states, right? And and the other thing is that you get this effect of, of uh, multimodality where at the same state, uh, you need a model that can kind of represent these different action preferences, like uh, um, or these action preferences from from this this data like that, that you have, these trajectories from the experts that you have. Like for for example, if if we're talking about maybe... Let me see. So you have an action space where actions can range from minus one to one, right? And you can imagine that maybe in this particular setting, um, experts, most experts prefer prefer an action of 0.2 or around, they prefer an action that has a mean of 0.2 and um, other other experts can have a... um, a preference around maybe uh, of, of, of minus 0.7 and things like that. But then there should be, there's places where if, if you were to put a mean around there, like that would result in a very, very bad uh, kind of policy, you know? So it's kind of like you have a one-to-many mapping, right? Um, at every uh, point in the state space, right? And um, that is not really, um, in my experience, it hasn't been very trivial to kind of learn, you know, because I think neural networks are kind of, 
um, they, they, they're more for kind of one-to-one type of mappings, you know, where you have like input and, oh no, they kind of, they're more for many-to-one type of, of scenarios where you have, you can have multiple inputs and then you have like one kind of um, output and in, in the end. But what happens when you have like uh, a single input, which is like your state, and then you have all these like possible um, Y values that you have to get out, you know. So uh, my experience with using just like a, a standard a neural network is that you get this averaging effect. And ye, uh, I've noticed that the the, the average of, of, of expert uh, actions in a particular state is not an expert action or is not an optimal action. Yeah. So in, in the scenario of, um, I guess, a self-driving car, you can imagine that you're driving into like a, a, a kind of fork, right? And then in the middle of the fork, there's something like a tree or something like that. And then your experts would be going either, you know, a steering have have a steering angle of like um, minus zero point five at, at, at the, the decision point, and then other uh, other experts have have like uh, I guess zero point five. And then what happens in that case is that if if you try to learn um, your guess action prior distribution or action preference uh, distribution at the decision point, you might just average over the two, and you get like a, a steering angle of zero, and that says you know drive straight into the tree, and then and that's not useful at all. Especially if you care about about your cause, <laughs> yeah. And so, how does this model compensate for that? The framework does compensate for that, but uh, I have been looking at models that try to to look at uh, how to represent a multimodal policy. Like, for example, um, especially since I'm talking about uh, probability distributions, or um, it's kind of like I'm working with mixed uh, Gaussian mixture models, right? So I need something that will basically take in a state and then give me a mixture. Um, a Gaussian mixture model of sorts over the action space. And um, recently, I've been playing with things like um, been playing with things like uh, mixture density networks, and those have uh, been giving me promising results. And then there's still like some ammo of models that I have. I guess I heard about. Um, um, I think it's overlapping mixtures of of Gaussian processes, and basically it's just uh, models that have uh, support for. Uh, or models that can give you um, multiple outputs given a single input, you know. So yeah, that that's kind of uh, the challenge here. So is the idea that, uh, kind of referring back to your self-driving car example, that you, you know, given your state, you know, one of these mixture models would be able to tell you that there are two distributions that uh, are likely one is centered at minus 0.5 and the other centered at 0.5. And then based on, you know, based on that information, you would know to choose one of those as opposed to choosing the zero or averaging out to zero. Yes, yes, uh, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And and actually, you highlighted another problem there, right? which is how do you choose how many modes there are, you know, like, um, no one is going to tell you that um, the good kind of behaviors here, uh, the, like there's only two of them, meaning that you have like uh, two kernels or two two modes, like in, in your mixture model, mm-hmm. right? Meaning um, you got your go left and then go right. Um, that kind of thing can can change um, um, at, at different points in, 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 in the state space. Maybe some states have got like an action preference distribution where like experts are doing kind of three optimal uh, things and then like in other cases it may kind of change so like learning this kind of model has been a, a bit challenging um, when it comes to like continuous environments and I feel like this is typically 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 the case when you're moving some I guess reinforcement learning algorithm from a discrete setting uh, towards continuous settings because I'd like to think that the real world is is made of continuous continuous quantities and and, and stuff like that and there should be some um, care taken as to how or what kind of model you're going to choose to to represent that. Like for for example, going from um, standard reinforcement learning to deep reinforcement learning, we need to care about how we represent our policy. So you know, um, um, going to use maybe some uh, deep neural network, and, and this is going to I guess parameterize my policy. I also need to represent my action prior uh, distribution. It's just there's so many, you know, things that you, you need to kind of like uh, tweak and, and work with for you to have a fully working working system. Maybe as a way to, to start to wrap up, can you give me a list of kind of the top three things that you've learned about doing about a, I guess, about deep reinforcement learning in general as applied to robotics, but with a particular emphasis on 
taking uh, existing research results from the discrete domain into continuous environments? Uh, firstly, just moving from discrete environments to to um, for, for, from from discrete environments to continuous uh, environments. I think one challenge uh, with doing that is uh, just representing, uh, I think, your policy, right? So, for example, uh, I think I think the first paper that I came across um, that kind of did like a good job with that was was DDPG. It made me very in- in- interested in in trying to apply uh, reinforcement learning um, towards um, it, it basically like allowed me to believe that, okay, reinforcement learning will work in, in, in the robotics domain. Right. Um, What's but the name then, of that paper again? Uh, I think it's, 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 it's deep deterministic uh, policy, policy gradients. Okay. Right. So there's like a newer version, I think D4 PG. Uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, but uh, essentially um, it's like an ectocritic method and like it, it has all these, um, Okay, let me just say, like, it, it, it's one of the, the the first papers that that kind of worked in 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 uh, deep in, in in robotics, right? So to apply deep reinforcement learning in like with continuous environments, right? Um, I think I think besides trying to learn like a, a good policy, you need to kind of think of uh, exploration, like how you're going to handle um, exploring this very like. Uh, the, your, your 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 state space, given the fact that it's continuous and there's like infinitely many uh, states that you can uh, occupy there. And um, the the other thing is data in in robotics is very like it's 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 very it's it's very hard to come by. Like you um you kind of need to, or rather, the ideal case is to not have a lot of um is 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 to not have to train your your model for a long time. Right, you'd like to maybe train um, your model like for for a very short period of time, but like in reality, if you're using like these model-free methods, um, you find yourself training for a very very long time, and that makes it difficult to kind of apply um, um, existing work in the sense that maybe you have like you're working on your laptop and you can't run these models because it's going to take a long time to converge. And the other thing in, in reinforcement learning is that uh, I realized it very late um, um, in my master's uh, project, where, like, I realized the fact that uh, your random seed is is quite a very it's a very important thing, you know. Like, so you can you can blame the model all you want. Like, you get maybe you get like a very good uh, kind of learning curve, and you feel like okay, this thing is working. You run it again, um, and what happens now? It basically gives you like a very flat thing and shows you that it doesn't work. You know, so it fluctuates a lot. There's like all these variants. So I learned that, okay, for you to actually, for people to be able to trust your results, you need to be able to kind of average them over multiple runs. And multiple runs means that you're going to be running your, your I guess, your algorithm for like a long time. And um, that is just more compute time. So like you can't, you need like, uh, I guess, compute. Compute is a very important thing, you know. So uh, I'm fortunate enough to have um, access to uh, a cluster like um we have, I think, something with with sixty blades, like at the at the university, um, and I can basically run multiple experiments in parallel, and um, I can get my results within uh, two hours or so, you know. But the one challenge is just, you know, um, you firstly looking for environments, you're looking for um, things that won't take too long, you know, um, and then also, yeah, exploration has been like a, a very uh, big thing, you know, so. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that answers your question, but um, yeah, those were like in my experience things that I found very difficult about trying to apply uh, deep reinforcement learning in 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 the robotics domain. Just data and having very accurate simulations. Like for example, you start out very very ambitious. Um, for example, we have a physical robot uh, in house here, um, like this mobile manipulator, and I'm like, ah, I want to apply deep reinforcement learning. Maybe learn to pick up a cup. And maybe the cup will have water and stuff like that. And as you kind of traverse through the literature, you start checking things off from this checklist or like from these ambitions, you know, it's like, okay, maybe there shouldn't be water, you know, like in the cup. And then maybe the cup should be like a ball, you know, something that's, I don't know, easier to to, to, to hold. And then you're like, okay, maybe instead of having a ball, I'll just have, I'll be moving the manipulator just along like this, you know. And then you keep going and then you find yourself, okay, maybe instead of having a physical robot, I'm going to build a simulated version. And then when you're there, you're like, okay, instead of building a physical simulated version of the robot, I'm just going to build a simple 2D thing just to see if like these models work. And then (laughs) you go all the way down to like a simple 
navigation domain, like a 2D thing where you can kind of easily prototype ideas and, you know, so it's, it's, it's a very humbling experience. Like you start out very, you know, uh, big and then like you kind of, um, you, you kind of get to narrow it down into these like particular problems and you need something that's going to allow you to evaluate your ideas like quickly and, 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 and very, you know, very efficiently and things like that. So yeah, like that has been my experience, I think, with 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 deep deep RL uh, in in robotics and I think other applications that I've been trying to use it in. Yeah, and I think your experience is very much in line with uh, with the experiences of others, and has you know that kind of experience I think has led a lot uh, of people to kind of you know, leave our deep RL in frustration <laughs> and uh, move on to, to simpler things. But it's, you know, it's certainly a, a, a space that I find uh, fascinating. And thank you for um, kind of walking us through uh, the way you're approaching it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Like, um, I really, I really relate to like uh, that, that last part, you know, um, I understand people's frustration and I understand the reasons if they end up leaving Deep RL. You know, like I think what has helped me stay here is um, the the communities that I've been exposed to. Like for example, I've met other people uh, deep learn at, at the deep learning in Daba who are using Deep RL for their for their unique applications, and we get to kind of you know talk. And if you're having a problem, you can ask this particular person. Same thing is happening at Black in AI, and like in some cases, you know. Um, I guess through Black in AI, you get to meet the leading um, researchers in the field or the people who wrote the paper that's giving you um, sleepless nights and headaches. And you get to ask them directly, like, yo, what is this X? Like, how did you make this work? And what was, what motivated your, 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 your decisions, like for, I guess, choosing um, this particular thing. So yeah, I really, really understand, uh, I guess, the frustration and why people would be frustrated with the field. But hopefully going forward with this whole movement of, trying to get people to release their code more, like this whole thing of reproducibility, um, problems like that will tend to die out. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sikwe uh, Lukwanda, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Uh, thank you, Sam. And uh, thank you for having me. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.